and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we are back at the Red Pill Expo. Virtually, anyway. Yeah, that's right. We're watching it from our browsers. We're looking at a browser. Mm-hmm. But this browser <laughs> is full of some crazy stuff. Yeah. If I do say so myself. So if you missed part one, you're going to want to go back because this is going to be really confusing. Yeah, we're going to throw you right in the deep end. I mean, it's confusing anyway, Mm -hmm. but if you miss part one, you're going to really be lost. That's funny. I'm looking at my notes here, and the second word, well, the first two words are really confusing. (laughs) But that was about where to go because of that email. So um, a little follow-up on our previous episode. Got a lot of great engagement and responses and additional things that we learned. So first of all, just about red pills themselves yeah first of all as oh, yeah there's some cool stories with this as i was uh, going back through the episode again while editing i was thinking why is there even a blue pill mm. because to give you the option it's purely oh. a placebo pill right oh, it doesn't right it doesn't do anything to you it you stay oh, the right. same as you yeah, were yeah yeah why, oh yeah it's why bother with the blue pill the blue pill's homeopathy <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow cool right. boy ron makes the blue pill <laughs> Exactly. Like, I hope it's at least a sugar pill that tastes like sugar. Yeah, that's true. You <laughs> don't need that. Like, it's redundant. Any, yeah. Well, I guess I'll take the blue pill, but do I need to? <laughs> can I just not I take le- either pill? Can I leave? Yeah. <laughs> do I need to ingest anything? Oh, my God. Why is there a blue pill? <laughs> Uh, A lot of people were pointing out how the red pill's kind of gone through a few different iterations. And we sort of mentioned that, that different people have claimed the metaphor of the red pill, but that it used to be this just kind of anti-woman, men's rights sort of thing. Pickup artistry. Yeah. They were really talking about taking the red pill. But it's kind of ironic that these groups are laying claim to the red pill and specifically playing a clip from The Matrix at the beginning of this convention. Right. Because it was directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski. Think that's Wachowski. Right. Yeah. And they are trans women. They wrote it too, right? Yeah. And very accomplished directors. And I didn't know this. I knew that within the trans community, this was kind of seen as a metaphor for them as well, the right. red pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize that they had written this as yeah, it's an like allegory. Overt in their minds. Yeah. So apparently early medicine used for transition or or what some people call gender confirmation treatment, those early pills, I guess, were red. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because they were like estrogen supplements and additional... You know, I'm not sure. Also, obviously, depending on whether you were a trans woman or a trans man, you'd be seeing different things. So in their minds, like, this is a very clear statement about, like, this existence of sort of walking through the world trying to play this game that society has set up for you when inside you know something different is going on for them is like very, very literal. Yeah. And I guess they've confirmed this in recent years, which I didn't know either. Yeah, there's this independent article titled The Matrix Was a Metaphor for Transgender Identity, Director Lily Wachowski Confirms. There's a video of her talking about it. Yep, yep, that's not an overstatement. I had seen before that that Elon Musk had tweeted, take the red pill, and Ivanka Trump had responded to that and said, taken, 
And then <laughs> Lily Wachowski okay. had responded to both of them and said, fuck both of you. <laughs> uh, uh, and Lana Wachowski endorsed Bernie Sanders in aw. 2016. So um, they're not in your ideological wheelhouse, Red Pill Expo. Yeah, that's got to be so frustrating for them to have this. Oh, can you imagine? Actually, frustrated is probably not even... <laughs> the description, but yeah. What uh, if a bunch of extremists created the Goat Sperm Expo? Oh my God, I'd be so mad. Can you imagine? Like some people who are like breeding goats or something. <laughs> That's our claim to fame. They get they get red pill, blue pill. We have goat sperm. A lot of people listened to the last episode and asked about the artist, Kata Billups. Oh yeah, okay. And how to spell that. Okay. So that's K-A-T-A, first name, Kata Billups, last name, B-I-L-L-U-P-S. You know, like Billups. Or like pay your bill at UPS. I gotcha. And I was looking at her store on eBay. and it's so great. Yeah, but did so you see expensive? the prices? Yeah. Girl, I submitted two offers. I really low You did, her. huh? Oh, yeah. Because they're all like over a thousand dollars. Oh, like I went there thinking, oh, Carrie said she'd love to have these. Let's see what they cost. Oh. <laughs> I'd plunk down like two hundred bucks for one of these. Uh. It was one of them of the Rolling Stones was one hundred seventy nine thousand dollars. <laughs> and then in that one, I think she explains why it's that price, and it's like the number is significant. Okay, instead of- but a bunch of them were like. Really high up there, tens of thousands of dollars. Well, so I submitted, let me find my offers. I wasn't prepared to share this information because I wasn't really thinking about it. (laughs) I genuinely just wanted to buy this art. So the one I was trying to get is Elvis Prayed to Be a Doctor. (laughs) That's the name of the art. Elvis Prayed to Be a Doctor. Okay. And her buy it now price was $1,337. So I offered $150. Oh, okay. And she didn't reply. So -hmm. then I upped the ante. Oh. I figured this still wouldn't go. And actually, if she had accepted it, I would have been like, but I offered $400. Whoa. That was my top, like. (laughs) You're playing into her game. Uh, Yeah. And then she wrote to me. She sent me a, a really sweet message most recently on October 18th. And she said, hi, Re your kind offers about my piece entitled Elvis Considered Being a Doctor. Oh, uh-huh. Sorry, I did not respond. Just got back from Red Pill Expo 2020 on Jekyll Island, where I sold some work. Hey, who are you? I see you buy books, etc. Love to know more about your art ilk and you. Love to deal with you on this piece. I thought about how little I could take for this one and not literally have deep remorse. This one is one of my favorites in the folk genre. Ah. The number I have in mind is between 800 and 1,000. Can you guess it? Okay, it's 900. <laughs> what about <laughs> what about 900 and free shipping? Hey! Exclamation point, exclamation point. I promise you if the whole economy does not tank, and if there are still any moderately or very wealthy people left in the next three years or so to buy my work... This will sell for more than the sale price of about 1400 I have a lot of plans for advertising and new shows and a possible gallery in Chas SC, somewhere in South Carolina, and in making YouTube characters and creating content to expand that way. Is that short for Charleston? 
Oh, maybe. That makes sense. And making YouTube characters and creating content to expand that way. New websites, new work galore, etc. Massive Kata expansion plans in 2021. Go Trump! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and then in parentheses, not perfect, but better in Hillary. Very fondly, Kata. Oh my goodness. Were you not going to share this with us unless I mentioned it? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess not. I wasn't really thinking about it. This wow. is just a direct human experience I was having. <laughs> you opened up a whole can of worms and now here they are wriggling. Are you going to do anything with them? Well, I spent some time looking at this and thinking, this was literally my thought process. If I tell her that I'll buy her art, could I convince her not to vote for Trump? Could I somehow leverage it? (laughs) And then I thought, that's probably somewhere around election fraud. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. And I don't commit election fraud. That's good. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, did you already vote? Yeah. Me too. Hey. Hey, hey, virtual high five. Yeah, I voted by mail. And then I dropped it in one of the L.A. County ballot drop-off boxes, the official safe drop-off You box. didn't put it in one of the fake Republican Party drop boxes? I did not. Well, that's good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That letter was amazing, by the way. And the time she spent on that. I know. My goodness. Equals the painting. Or it was just... Maybe I'll just print this out and frame it. Yeah, there you go. It's meta. The, no, it's um, kata. Oh, nicely done. Thank you you. so much. I can't promise I'll be that fast tonight, folks. (laughs) So another thing that people brought up, which is a really good point when you think about it, the whole Rosa Parks Mm -hmm. situation. It's actually good, and that was a good talk. The little fever dream. Yeah. You know, I never thought about it before. (laughs) But people wrote in to say, actually. (laughs) Actually, he made a good point. That was really good. No, you know, everyone was feeling bad for this woman, but I kept thinking, why is this woman at the conference? Uh But one really good point about this is that Rosa Parks was an activist. This was a planned event. Right. She would not have taken well to this guy showing up and being like, let me buy you a sandwich. (laughs) Right. Or some ice cream or whatever it was. Oh, absolutely. And walk you home to your husband. Make sure he has a gun on him. And even though her experience with law enforcement may have been bad, she decides to go with me because it's light outside. (laughs) Me and my gun-toting white man friends are here, (laughs) Miss Troublemaker Lady. You want to come with us? I I mean, I'm not calling you Troublemaker because I think you're following the Constitution. And you're beautiful and whatever gets me out of the thought that I might be racist. So none of that worked. But also another point is that I found out later that that black woman was a speaker later on in the Uh, conference. Okay. Oh, you saw her picture and confirmed that? Yes. Ah, what is her name? Her name is Cynthia McKinney. And boy, does she have an interesting story. Oh, interesting. I didn't watch her whole talk. Okay. But I was reading up on her and I'm pretty sure I have the right Cynthia McKinney. Okay. Well, what's her deal? Since I was kind of jumping through, you know, a bunch of these, what was it, 15 videos? 14 videos? I'm not sure. A lot, though. A lot of two-hour videos. (laughs) And, um... She was somewhere on video 13. She's apparently a former congresswoman who was originally a Democrat for many years. Okay. And then switched to the Green Party. Okay. And ran actually once as vice president on the Green Party ticket. Whoa. 
and got a very paltry, you know, amount of votes. But hey, sure. she was on the ticket. Whoa. Yeah. Did they get a five percent that year? I know every year they're just clamoring for that five percent. Oh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think the number was smaller than that. But yeah, she had a, a few little controversial bits, but at the end of her talk, she had a slide up. And so I just kind of wrote down some of the bullet points from that. Is she right wing now or is she still a Green Party? I feel like she had some particular issues that overlapped very well with this crowd. Oh, okay. But yeah, I'm guessing- A nonpartisan red pillar. That's fun. I couldn't see anything about her becoming a Republican, at least. Okay. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. So the name of her talk was- Identity politics is divide and conquer in disguise. Oh, I saw that talk advertised. Yeah. So some of her bullet points at the end. One, racism is not innate. Hmm. Two, racism's purpose was to place a perpetual brand on blacks. Okay. I'm sort of with you. Point three, racial oppression of blacks is ruinous to the interests of the U.S.'s working class Europeans. Okay, say that one again. Racial oppression of blacks is ruinous to the interests of the U.S.'s working class Europeans. Okay, so that's an argument for treating everyone well, for the betterment of all, you would think. Right, I guess in everybody's interest to not oppress black people. Mm -hmm. I I agree with that. The way to beat the 1% is unity among the 99%. Sure. And then in all caps, unrig ourselves, unrig U.S., Okay, yeah. So she was there. She was part of the lineup. That's interesting, though. Those bullet points, as you just listed them, just seem completely out of line with the title of the talk, but obviously we didn't watch it, so. At least from the scrubbing through it. It felt like the overall timbre of it was, I'm justifying kind of all of your feelings. She felt simpatico with their viewing of racial issues. Yeah, clearly. And that she's not for political correctness and Mm -hmm. trying to bend over backwards as they see it to try to level the playing field. Yeah, that seems a little in opposition to those points made, but who knows? I didn't listen. I just uh, went through um, kind of waves with her where at first it was like, oh, this poor lady. And then it's like, well, why is she here? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you're one of the speakers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a really interesting story to be told about Cynthia. It may still be a this poor lady story. Who knows? All right. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, going back a little bit in time to the first kind of main speaker of the event, thought I'd tell you a little bit about Mr. Stuart Rhodes. Okay. That's Um, a good name. Rhodes Scholar. Is he really? No. Oh, okay. Did you hear the whole thing with Amy Coney Barrett? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you know, I didn't see it, but apparently Katie McEnany, after she said, and in years from now, people listen to this and be like, who's Amy Coney Barrett? Who's, oh, hopefully God they'll say willing. who's Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. They, oh, right. They'll probably know exactly who that is. But Kaylee <laughs> McEnany is the current press secretary of Donald oh, Trump mm-hmm. and incredibly combative. To the media. To the media. Yeah, yeah. As they all are and maybe have to be. I don't know. Anyways, she was mentioning that Amy Coney Barrett is a Rhodes Scholar, but it turns out she just went to Rhodes College. Which is in like Tennessee or something. And then someone called her out on that. And apparently she said, oh, my bad. Yeah. Which is a good response. She had her like binder in front of her. She's like, that was the information I was given. And then she tried Uh, to kind of look through it. And then the person said, no, she went to like Rhodes College, which is an American school, you know, and. Because the Rhodes Scholarship is out of like Oxford, I believe, or maybe Cambridge. Right. It means, yeah, you go travel to England and study there. Right. She said, oh, is that what it is? Okay. You know, I appreciate even that much from this administration. Sure. The ability to say, oh, okay. 
Yeah, and not be like, well, there you go. She's a scholar from Rhodes University. <laughs> That's what I would expect. Yeah. So what I said was true, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. So this guy's name just happened to be Rhodes. But I think they were still kind of grasping at straws to be like, well, how do we uh, build this guy up? So they introduced him as founder and president of Oath Keepers. Uh, which I'll tell you about in just a little bit. That sounds like... Promise uh, keepers. Yeah, it sounds like it'll be boys talking about... Being godly men. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Treating women right by not watching porn. Someday we'll have to talk about promise keepers. I went to at least one rally of the promise keepers as a kid. Yeah. Let's see. His thesis on the political theory of James Madison was, I guess, well-regarded. He's a concealed carry firearms instructor. Hmm. Hey, when you play hide and go seek, I was just thinking this. Are you a concealed carry? I'm thinking when we go undercover, I'm concealed <laughs> carry. <laughs> you're concealed Ross. If you use a fake name, you're definitely concealed yeah. carry. Yeah, yeah. Or carry something else. He was part of Ron Paul's DC staff. Okay. Uh, something about him being in Yale in 2004. I don't know. <laughs> he visited Yale in 2004. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th- that's that's <laughs> the fault. College tour. That's the fault of my notes, not of him. Okay. He won the prize for best paper on the Bill of Rights, and he is a volunteer okay. firefighter in Montana. It's like okay, Aww, cute. Are we padding the resume now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also wrote a book on applying the laws of war to American people. Okay. So the Oath Keepers are all about. Training veterans to take up arms and be kind of the citizen police force. Oh, okay. Like militias. And the whole... No, thanks. Appeal seems to be, you took an oath to the Constitution when Mm. you became a service member, and Mm -hmm. so you need to keep that oath, see, oath keepers, Mm -hmm. and continue to serve as a militia to maintain peace and order in the United States. There's no need. Just FYI, if you're out there, veterans, it's okay. Take a load off. Thank you for your service. No, thank you on the militias. <laughs> don't need we to see- are okay. I don't need to see you at my polling place with an AK. Yeah. Take up a hobby. It's okay. Learn the banjo. Yeah, this guy had kind of a, a scraggly beard, and he was wearing a black shirt with a black long sleeve shirt over that. A, Whoa, a, okay. A, you know, like you have an undershirt. Oh, oh that's showing I got it, got it, got it. A t-shirt. And then you have the overshirt. Okay. And then he had a dark gray and black jacket on top of that and a black cowboy hat. Wow. So it's just like black on black Real, on black. like Johnny Cash look. Yeah. There okay. you go. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, look, but it felt consistent, but different. So he was talking about just how the streets are run over. There's chaos and fires and... What you're seeing out on the streets right now is a Marxist insurrection and the beginnings of a hot civil war. Mm. That was a kind of his jib. And he's talking. The Marx Brothers, I assume. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. He was talking about all these ideological Marxists and they got jailed. But the ones who didn't get jailed, they went into academia so that they could dominate that world. And now they run it. And their whole program is to brainwash young Americans and turn them against the country. And label true patriots as racist Mm, and xenophobic and evil. Sure. Now they're finally tipping their hand. The masks have come off, as he says, which seems kind of backwards because they're usually the ones wearing masks, but okay. So he agreed with me that education is the answer in the long run, but he specifically said it's homeschooling. Oh. That's how we do it. We got to get kids out of this public schooling system and make sure that they're learning our truths, our way. Why would you make sure that kids get information that has been vetted by experts run through 
thousands or millions of people uh, to get to the kernel of truth when you can instead have one person teach them. You mean Marxist experts, quote unquote? <laughs> no, I'm trying to have sympathy for that position because it is true, like your teachers are people, your teachers are going to have perspectives. Mm-hmm. Some of those perspectives are going to be out of alignment with your perspectives. Right. That's, that's about as close as I can get. That's always the danger. Well, I remember people worrying about me going off to a secular college. Yeah. And I guess for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think for a lot of people, that's come back even closer to the chest. Like, well, we can't even let them go to public yeah. elementary school because they're going right. to get indoctrinated and they're going to be exposed to people who don't think the way we do. And then he was bragging about how they were out in Louisville a couple weeks ago protecting businesses when there were demonstrations. Mm. And they also did it in Ferguson. So oh, they, wow. they sound like a real Proud Boys type group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with that veteran particular slant, he, veterans, yeah. he was uh, pointing out there was a black lady who even hired us to protect her bakery. See, this isn't a racist thing. <laughs> that's why I have to point out this one person. <laughs> exactly. That's why that's one, my one example. He said that he has a shirt that he's really proud of. It says, I carry a gun because a cop is too heavy. <laughs> okay. You know, well, cops can't respond instantly. I sure. need to be ready in the moment. So then he gave this pitch, essentially, and he asked who in the audience is a veteran. And at least as far as I could see, I'm not sure how much of the audience this camera captured. Yeah, I wondered that, too. You could always see a few rows and they felt pretty darn full. People Mm -hmm. were sitting right next to each other. So I don't know if it extended back beyond that. But there weren't that many people who raised their hands and said they were veterans. Okay, looked like maybe two or three. I feel like I usually saw about like 50 to 60 people in frame. That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? Maybe there was 600 behind them. Maybe. I wouldn't bet on it. You know, it, it was the same sort of thing that we hear from all of these presenters, that everything that's happened that's bad was planned that way. Bad mm-hmm. things only happen because it was intentional. Mm-hmm. So all of this current tumult is just to erode trust in the electoral system. Oh, that's a really interesting insight, like that it's this lack of awareness that some things are unintentional. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent in the middle of what you were saying, but it reminds me of Dan Ariely's book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Mm, mm -hmm. So he runs the Lying Lab at Yale, which is all about lying. And he says in the book that when you're drunk your body actually, your brain basically turns off the mechanism that tells you, oh, some things are unintentional. It's one of the later things our brains develop as young people. Oh. So like if you ask a two-year-old, here's a picture of a woman who drops her candy. Mm -hmm. Why did that happen? The two-year-old will say, she didn't want it. I don't know why she did that. Why did she do that? Yeah. But, you know, after a certain point of development, you say, why? What do you mean, why? Yeah. Like, she just did. It was an accident. You're priming the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, basically, when you're, like, extremely drunk, that part of your brain turns off, which is part of the explanation of barroom brawls and- Interesting. You know, masculine encounters. Oh, you stepped on my foot, huh? Right. You want to fight with me. Exactly. I'll fight you. Okay. Yep. Good times. Um, so, anyway, that makes me wonder if some of these folks, like- some neural circuitry yeah have a similar like don't have the benefit of that part of their brain saying well hang on hang on yeah it could just be an accident yeah i feel like that is kind of an underlying theme the sort of invoking of causal agents when yeah there don't need to be Mm -hmm. or at least uh, the inability to 
entertain that as a possibility. Right. A serious one. So he had some yeah. other great pithy observations. He said, don't underestimate what China is doing to destroy this country. Okay, go ahead. And what I just, doing? I kept thinking like, what about Russia? Why does no one ever yeah, say Russia anymore? Right. Have you forgotten they're the enemy? <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Oh, I don't know. The enemy just sounds awfully strong. Have you forgotten the days of Tried to your, your our favorite Reagan? Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, it's like yeah. they were the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, Did you ever read any Tom Clancy? But the... <laughs> But then they got their boy in. I read a lot of Tom Clancy as a kid. Oh, okay. Very, probably like the weirdest author that I got kind of hung up on oh, for a while. Oh, cool. If you had to pick one, like, why were you reading so much Tom Clancy? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I don't know if I've read any Tom Clancy books. It was a lot of like rah-rah military and intelligence. And, sure. you know, you're following some exciting pop boiler where something was about to blow up and you had to follow the heroic men who tracked it down and stopped it gotcha i did go through a big john grisham phase and i've considered re-entering it oh interesting enjoy a legal thriller all right all right (laughs) so um he said many oath keepers are former democrats who came here via ron paul Oh, so he was kind of a gateway drug for them yeah he talked about how you know there's these people out there and you just can't waste your time with them there's nothing you can do with some of these liberals and until the light bulb comes on over their heads, you got to be ready to fight them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Bald language there. I've certainly heard that sentiment from all sides of the aisle. And that was about the gist of it. He recommended going to defendamericanow.com. He said it's free okay. and you can talk to them there. Okay. Oh, the website's free? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Free website. Defendamericanow.com. Carrie now owns it. <laughs> and nope. Oath Keepers. Weird. Their logo looks like they make bread. The Oath Keepers logo is a logo that should be on bread. Oh, yeah. I could see that on a bag of bread. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's not supposed to be like a social movement's logo. Yeah, right. That's a bread logo. Or Orville Redenbacher could put his name in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Anyways, so that was a great first talk to get us all up in arms. And then right after him came our good friend, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Oh, good. I'm glad you're going to tell me about him. Okay, here's what I know about Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Okay. He's a real doctor. Yes. He's a psychiatrist. Right. Licensed. Right. Very proud of that. And are you? He's real proud of that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You should be proud of him. I'm proud of Andrew. Your son. Oh. See, you're trying to sneak it in, but I get you. Okay. Yes. Okay. He's a real doctor. Mm-hmm. He has a pretty big Facebook and YouTube following, and he speaks very confidently and calmly about why COVID is not nearly as threatening and scary as people make it out to be. And in fact, there are real downsides to promoting this as some sort of scourge that's going to wipe out humanity. And so, like, he, he makes it. it sound rational yep. just by virtue of being so in control of his person. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good description of it. So he comes up, and again, I kind of felt this, like, padding of the resume happening. He's a natural healing consultant, an inventor, healer, public speaker, forensic oh. psychiatrist. Yeah, he's a public speaker. He's here. <laughs> uh, forensic psychiatrist. <laughs> At the Duke University Medical Center, he's got a Bachelor of Science in Molecular Biology. He's published original research. He's been an expert witness in court. He ran a startup to invent and develop patented devices. Okay, did you patent them? 
Which devices? <laughs> right. Yeah, actually, I know. I'm very curious about that all of a sudden. All right, U.S. Patent Office, here we come. Carrie's looking. So, yeah, okay, I got to listen to this guy. And comes up kind of the opposite of the last guy in that he's wearing white on white on white. He's got... Oh, interesting. Yeah, white pants, which is always a choice, as we've discussed on the show. And then the white long sleeve shirt. He looks like a scientist. He looks very credible as looks go. You know, he's got this salt and pepper a beard and he's got the glasses and the neatly combed hair and he just like you said he talks so rationally and calmly he's got brown leather shoes that matches brown leather belts and he speaks just in this gentle cadence and there's no you know there's none of the giveaways that you're used to seeing from someone that's kind of oh Carrie's looking very oh I'm sorry I'm still looking at the patents but I'm I'm listening Carrie's still uh, this looking. Is, this is too deep a rabbit hole. Okay, okay, I'm back with you. Hey, so yeah, he just, you know, comported himself very well. He spoke eloquently, clearly, and uh, like there was one moment that stood out to me because the intercom suddenly sounded off with the voice of one of those infomercials that they were playing in the breaks. And it was a quick disruption. He made a quick joke about it mm. and the audience laughed and then he perfect timing went right back into his spiel and I thought this guy's like calm and collected and professional that makes him more dangerous because of what you're about to hear that he said so he said okay I'm going to be talking about science and math today sorry about that but follow (laughs) along with me I'll try to put everything into layman's terms and I'm going to be talking about this pseudoscientific dogmatic field of virology oh okay the study of viruses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So he had this uh, image on screen of coronavirus scams, tips from the FTC. And, you know, this is a website the FTC had put up to warn you about scams. Uh, the FTC being the Federal Trade Commission. Right. And he said, oh, I think it's rich that the government is warning us about scams. And their whole coronavirus story is a scam. Oh, clap, 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 That's irony. right. So the quick summation of what we're about to cover here is that he does not believe coronavirus is a thing. He doesn't believe it's a real virus. Okay. So it's all a big lie that we even think there's this virus to begin with to be afraid of. Okay. Without giving away too much. Yes. Does he believe it is something else or simply that it is like a social experiment entirely made up? No one's even getting sick. He does think that there is a physical component to this. Okay. That gets identified Later. As coronavirus. Oh, okay. Will he tell us what it is later? Yes. Oh, good. How exciting. Okay. So Oof. he says it's not really a virus, but they call it a virus. This is his big talking point. When he gives other videos, he always says, okay, well, how do they even tell us that there is a virus? So what they do is, first of all, you know, someone gets sick and they collect lung fluid from that person. Okay. okay. Then they sequence small fragments of genetic material. They mash it all up and then it's a big chaotic mix and they've got little floating pieces everywhere of DNA. Okay. And then what they do is they sequence that with a PCR detection process. Which is where they look for the proteins. A polymerase chain reaction test. Okay. This is common science. You get a bunch of these particles and then you quickly sequence them because sequencing has gotten way cheaper over the years. Yay. And then you have a computer kind of compare those little sequences against each other, Mm. find where the overlaps are and say, oh, okay, we're seeing the consistency here. Ta-da, we've built out this chain of DNA. Who's the villain who's common among these different samples? The villain? 
Yeah, I mean, you said what's common between the samples, right? So you've got like little chunks like, okay, I got a segment of ACTG, mm-hmm. you know, repeated many times in different formulations. And I've got another segment. Okay, well, the last 30% of this one and the first 20% of this one match up perfectly. That tells me these connect and this one connects with this one. So the computer is doing all the statistics for you to figure out how to build the full genome from all these little pieces that it's sequenced. Oh, I see. Okay. So, okay. All of that sounds pretty sensible to me so far. And then he says, okay, so now they quote unquote isolate the virus. So then he describes this process where they create cell cultures and they take a bunch of like already damaged cells and they starve them. I think he was talking about monkey cells all the time. So you're like, okay, you take these other cells now. So you're in a totally different environment than a body and you're putting, you're putting this virus in there, these, and, but you add antibiotics and other poisons. Oh, so that's part of his, I think, very skewed representation of what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And then you wait for cell damage. And then once you see it, you're like, aha, that confirms my suspicions. This thing is deleterious. And that's how he describes the science process of saying, aha, we have isolated a virus. I feel like for most people, all you would take from that is like, I don't really know what you're saying, but you're sure saying it in a tone that tells me it's dumb. So it's dumb. Right. And in his case, he's saying it very calmly and Mm -hmm, sensibly sounding with very long words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So he said, isolate has a totally different meaning if you're a virologist. You're just mixing rotting tissue with a cell culture that you first starve, then you poison, and then you see what happens if the cells die. And they call that a virus. And he says the whole process is missing a control. You're just Mm -hmm. confirming what you already expected to happen. So at one stage in this process, that might be true. Maybe. Sometimes these things are broken into stages. Right. So he says the real method of isolating a virus is, and then he shows this diagram where you pour the aforementioned lung fluid through a filter with a small pore size that removes bigger bacteria, that removes human cells. Then you use a density gradient through um, a centrifuge to separate out the different component parts by density. And then you can take the particles from that particular band and identify them under the microscope. And then you can analyze them chemically and structurally. So that was his definition of isolating a virus. So then he talked about that whole process where you're taking the little fragments and comparing them. Mm -hmm. And he said that, okay, you're building these long chains, but he says, then, you know, there's all kinds of confusion in that process. The computer's just guessing and these are all different samples. And so it's creating this weird mutant Frankenstein genome sequence that doesn't correspond to anything as far as he's concerned. Oh, right. And he says, whenever there's a gap, they insert just, you know, random pieces that they have from a database of previous viruses that they've created through the same process. So Mm -hmm. it's just lies stacked upon lies and it's just creating this fake virus from something that never existed i mean okay sure it's like a police sketch or something like you take the information you've got you kind Mm -hmm. of guess about the gaps so that when you see five or six people who kind of look like him you can take him in for questioning well and these are well-established methods because they work right you know they get results and they're consistent but yeah, he's making it sound kind of like Jurassic Park where they put in the frog DNA to complete the right. dinosaurs. And that's how they that's how they ended up creating males when they were only supposed to be female dinosaurs right. on the island. Anyways. Nature finds a way. That's right. Life Li- finds a way. You got Life. It. That's it. Woman inherits the earth. I don't know. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. 
Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. You got it. Sweet. (laughs) I did the easiest part. (laughs) Um, So he says, you know, they show all these pictures of these cells and try to say that this is the virus in action. But whenever it's not a CG generated image, these are just these starved cells. This is all contrived. Okay. I don't get the point he's making with the starvation thing. Like he's trying to say that when they're doing their proof test that this virus attacks cells, Mm -hmm. just adding a virus to these cells that are already terrible looking. Okay, got it. Or going to look terrible very quickly. Because they added poisons and they already chose sickly, emaciated cells. Right. And now they're saying, look what the virus did. Okay, so like if I was trying to prove that... Milk is bad for you. Mm -hmm. So I found like the sickest, oldest person I could, gave them a bunch of milk and then said, see, and then they died in a year. Look how wrinkly they are. Right. Okay. Got it. (laughs) The milk did it. Exactly. He also said that COVID-19 has never been purified and visualized, that we don't have any images of COVID-19. That is just demonstrably not true. Mm. (laughs) Like there are many electron microscope photos of COVID-19. It's got that cute little hat. <laughs> uh, it's got the, a million little hats. The little spike proteins. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know. It's supposed to look like a little crown. So you're just wrong. Yes, we have seen it. Though I guess he would argue about that. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And he says that all these PCR tests have never been tested against the gold standard. I guess what he was talking about with the filtration. Oh, and so apparently that 80% false positive rate thing we were talking yeah. about last time. Yeah. yeah not a thing. So, like, the common tests out there have, like, a 1% false positive rate. So, as far as I can tell, the 80% number was pulled out of his butt. Okay, that's what I suspected. 8% seemed awfully high. Yeah, I was allowing that maybe there were early tests like that when they were trying to figure this thing out. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I cannot find any support for that. Based on that, he was throwing about a ton of numbers, you know, like, oh, well, if you've got 10 million people getting tested daily at the full rollout of this Operation Moonshot, they're trying to execute to uh, test the American public, you know, with that kind of false positive rate, you're going to get like 2.3% of 9.98 million. And so your true negative he was, he was trying to make the, the case that there were just going to be hundreds of thousands of false positives as they start testing okay. the public mm-hmm. and that essentially it was going to be a meaningless test. One of his other big talking points that uh, I've watched, you know, one or two of his other videos, and he talks about Koch's postulates. This is a long standing test within medicine. Okay. It's from like the 1880s. So the scientist Robert Koch, he found that this is really obvious stuff, but at the time this was pretty groundbreaking. The mm-hmm. idea is that, okay, if someone is sick, I should be able to extract from them material, find an agent that I think is the causative agent. If I take that and I grow it in culture and then I give it to someone else who is healthy, they should get sick. And Most of the time, yeah. If I have that agent. So you just introduced an important caveat that, uh. that isn't part of the postulates originally. <laughs> well, but, very smart. But yes. <laughs> and um, lived later. There is, of course, the idea that some people can have a disease and not show symptoms of it, mm-hmm. which complicates things. But you can still show that someone will only be sick with that causative agent. So then once that other person or, let's say, animal, which is often the case, if they get sick, then if you take that same substance from them, grow it in culture, give it to someone else, 
it will get that third person sick. And then you've fulfilled the postulates there. Okay, gotcha. So it's, you know, kind of basic logic. The healthy person generally should not have it. And uh, this is how you identify diseases. Okay. Right, okay. Don't trade spit. He agrees that that's logical, but he says that COVID-19 has never gone through that test, essentially. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. But we have plenty of other evidence that shows us that it's a real virus and that it's actually getting people sick. I mean, also people being in contact with others who had COVID-19 and then getting COVID-19 seems like... Well, it fulfills the postulates. Yeah, it's not a laboratory version of that test. Right, and I I should say, even if they hadn't seen this behavior, we have plenty of other reasons to know that the virus Mm -hmm. is a real virus. But he's questioning that initial assumption that this was a virus to begin with. Okay. So then he was like kind of challenging their tests as he represented them. I don't have independent uh, representation of these tests, but he was saying, oh, they took X number of mice, you know, and it was only 19 mice or 15 mice and only a small fraction of them actually showed manifestations. And uh, some of them only had like bristly hair and we don't see that in humans. They don't have weight loss and bristly fur. So what use is this mouse test that you're doing? Right. So he was just kind of eating away at all these uh, tests that he thought were false proofs of COVID-19. Man, it takes so much to build trust and so little to destroy it. Yeah, good point. Then he was looking at some Italian and German studies of patients. Oh, this these weren't enough patients, and he didn't feel that all of the symptoms were consistent. Anyways, okay. it was same kind of denial arguments that we see in a lot of places. Like, let's pick weird little anomalies and kind of focus on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So his conclusions. And, and since you, you, the average listener, don't have much expertise here. Right. You're just going to sort of trust me. Yeah. And this is tough for me. This is not an area specialty of mine. So I yeah. have to go look and who's written papers about this or published YouTube videos. And there were a couple helpful resources. There was a paper from McGill University that was really helpful to me. But yeah, I'd listen to him. I'm like, well, it sounds sensible. Mm-hmm. But then you hear someone else talking they're like yeah anybody who's like remembers a junior level class in any of this should be able to see through all these arguments yeah which i don't remember my junior level classes in virology so nor do i didn't have them so he said that none of Koch's postulates have been satisfied despite the claim and he said despite a toxic liquid from monkey cells grown with infected lung pus and poisonous chemicals being inserted into a bunch of mice noses Less than half showed any symptoms at all. No mice developed any symptoms or autopsy findings consistent with COVID-19. So they just said this whole paper that's supposed to prove COVID-19 is fraudulent. Uh, there was a lot of like graphics that had a big like red fraud stamp written wow. over them. This is a lot of blinding with science. Yes. Oh, this is, I think, the poster presentation for blinding with science. Yeah. I'm not sure if he even got into it in this talk because I felt like I was keeping pretty thorough notes, but certainly in other talks he's given, he's claimed that the causative agent or the thing that people are mistaking for a virus are these exosomes, which are little packets that kind of get sent out from cells to other cells. And he makes a couple wrong statements, like one that the virus triggers this, and apparently exosomes are always transferring around anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says that essentially scientists are getting confused when they think they're seeing those little, I don't know, like protein spikes or they're seeing these little fragments of RNA from the virus. He thinks they're mistaking them for these exosomes. But 
apparently any researcher worth their salt, anybody looking at this would. Anyone who remembers a junior level class <laughs> in virology like I do. Would know how to distinguish between exosomes and actual viral genetic information. So uh, right. it's very much blinding with science because I'm like, oh, I've never heard of exosomes before. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm listening to someone else who says, yeah, this guy knows nothing about what he's talking about or he's purposefully overlooking information he should have. And you're probably already retaining way more pieces of claim and, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. keywords and so on than the average person. I feel like this guy just fills the need to have, like, the one smart guy that kind of... It just sort of like yep. nails the center down. This you is go, like, oh, okay, we're we're okay. We have a smart one. Now <laughs> on to the other people. Exactly. Like for Christians, like, hey, look, C.S. Lewis, he's a smart yeah. guy and he believes all this stuff. So right. ergo, I can believe it without asking any difficult questions. <laughs> right. We accidentally played that role for a couple of our Mormon friends during mm. our Mormon investigation because during our baptism, one of our brothers in the Mormon faith came up during our... right baptism and gave a little talk as they often do but he said that we had increased his faith because like it taught him that oh these two really smart people Mm -hmm. also believe it like okay good i'm not like missing something and which yeah broke our hearts yeah it was tough to hear i mean later we did tell them all what was up so Mm -hmm. i wonder how he's doing yeah, me too. He stopped responding to my texts after a while. And I felt bad. So, yeah, and then he would highlight these different papers and he would say, see, they start saying suggest or linked to, and he'd point to certain phrases and then he'd point to some other paper or later paper and say, oh, now they're saying causative agent or set into motion the pandemic. And he felt they'd made this big leap from suggestive language to definitive language which they had because they should because when you're not sure you should use circumspect language you should make it clear that you don't know that's a humble good thing to do right but this crowd just locks onto that and aha you don't know right because you didn't speak with 100 percent certainty yeah because that's not how scientists speak all the time right right there is room for additional information to come in yeah so he kind of launched this against the whole enterprise of virology. Essentially, this guy does not believe viruses exist. Well, I feel like we're deep in the talk when he... Oh, yeah, because he starts getting into the whole history of medicine. He's talking about miasma theory and how we first identified bacteria This guy may be slow and well-spoken, Yeah, but I want to do his outline for him. I want to be like, okay, Andrew, listen, first of all, you come (laughs) on the stage and you say, what if I told you viruses aren't real? Boom, you have my attention. Sure. Don't give me all this stuff about like viruses throw off crap of little packets into the protein. I don't care. (laughs) Tell me viruses don't exist and then run through that stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. he He was laying the path of all of their various lies. And he Mm -hmm. said that scientists are just so prone to the correlation and causation error. And that's what you've really got to look out for. Yeah, there's so many additional little points here. He's pointing out like the Latin root of virus just means poison. It's it's like, wow, words come from other words from (laughs) concepts that predated our knowledge of this other thing. Viruses are weird. But yeah, he gave the whole history of like how viruses were first discovered in this particular guy, John Enders. At some point, he got converted or corrupted somehow because at first he used that speculative language. But then he started to 
say that viruses definitely existed and he got a Nobel Prize. Uh, oh, that was it. That's what changed his tune. He won a Nobel Prize and then he was in their back pocket and he'd say whatever they mm. wanted him to say that was convenient. That is usually a turning point in someone's career where they turn evil. Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. That's the moment. Yep. That's funny. That came up in a later talk, too, when we talk about the founder of this whole convention. That's another byline of his. Anyways, yeah, his summary was there's fraud in virus isolation. There's fraud in diagnostic testing. There's fraud in virus causation. There's fraud in genome sequencing. And there's a master strategy where they give their proof of the virus and then they produce their vaccine. And boy, that got a standing ovation from the audience. Oh, wow. They've gotten everything Banches. that they needed from this guy. This, the, the, you know, they're intelligent and very right. suave science representative. And so, okay, did he explain why they want us to have this vaccine then? What it's for? Um, or what is making people sick? If I was there and could ask a question, everyone went over time, by the way. So they were like almost never time for questions. But yeah, I want to know, okay, well, what's actually happening to people when we say they got COVID-19? Right. What do they have? Or do they not? And like the media is making it up or what? Yeah. What did Trump have? Anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was this all stage play? My guess is that he would say that this is the action of perhaps those exosomes or some other infectious agent. But it seems like he treats the material that they find as something that's just sort of present, but not the cause. Okay. And he feels like, oh, sure, you're isolating this thing and you're saying this is the causative agent, but it's just something that happens to hang around when you have the disease because he doesn't feel it's fulfilled those Koch's postulates. So in his mind, it's like if I woke up one morning and was like... (gasps) There were footprints on my floor. And mm-hmm. then Drew said, we'll clean them up <laughs> because he's thinking like the footprints themselves are the threat. What it's like, no, no, no. Oh, I get I'm just you. saying like this is evidence of it being there. In Kaufman's mind, it's the same sort of thing. Like, well, sure, this stuff's there, but it's not the threat itself. Yeah, or to use a very, I think, direct an- analogy, it's like when these people say, oh, well, look, you had some other condition when you died of COVID-19. Right, right. Therefore, it wasn't the virus. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have died of pneumonia without the virus starting this whole process. Right. So I would say he has the problem with causation (laughs) and correlation. Yeah, that was a tough exercise because, you know, you're listening to these things that are outside of your own ken, if you're me, and going, okay, I don't know how exactly that's wrong, but it feels wrong. Two really helpful resources for me were a McGill- Office for Science and Society article by Jonathan Jerry, and also a YouTube video by Debunk the Funk with Dr. Wilson. (laughs) That was uh, pretty cool. Both of those just kind of helped give me some quick counterpoints. He seems dangerous. I remember looking him up and being like, oh, yeah, real doctor. But like, yeah, I wonder how this works with the AMA the American Medical Association, and like the state's licensing board. So lunch, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. I think I texted you during this. Okay, yeah. How much of this did you watch? I think I watched probably, the video was 23 minutes. Uh Uh-huh. I think I watched 17. Okay, I watched it. Uh, Titanic? Oh, you watched the whole thing. A Perfect Crime. Okay, so what we're saying is that during the lunch break, this is what they were showing everybody who stayed for lunch. But then they also showed it on the feed so you could follow along. Boy, this was a low-budget operation. Oh, yeah. There was a woman narrating the whole thing, and she was 
very dramatic. Yes. About all of these happenings related to the Titanic. And yet didn't really have the vocal delivery to pull that off. Mm, mm -hmm. So it sounds a little silly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also the content silly, I noticed. It doesn't help. But I feel like she and Linda Moulton Howe, boy, they'd have a lot to talk about. So do you think that you want to re-record that audio for them? And send them a new track? No, I do not. Okay. I Actually, I don't think I have the vocal qualities necessary for the Titanic. Okay. The Titanic didn't really sink either. <laughs> yeah, I had not heard this particular theory, but I feel like I'd been primed for it because mm-hmm. I had read one of the Q drops. And in that one- You what? I read one of the Q drops, you know, like QAnon, oh, all starts oh, with these- oh drops of information okay yeah and one that i read was just like this series of questions Mm -hmm. and a bunch of them were related to the titanic where did it go the bottom of the sea it's the sea's very big you think so i do q if you're listening it's just it's the bottom of the sea and the sea's huge so there's your answer so I think it was wrapped up in QAnon, but apparently a lot of these uh, followers followed those questions, those prompts, and they started looking into the Titanic. What's wrong ah, with the story? Right. What's going on? What's the secret hidden subplot? So, yeah, to sum up this video that had all of this old footage, what they believe is that the Titanic was purposefully sunk, but first of all, it was... Not actually the Titanic. Oh, okay. I didn't hear this part. Okay, so... (laughs) What was it? So there were two sister ships. There was the Olympic and the Britannic. Okay. And I think it was the Olympic had a a run-in where, you know, their propellers were so large that they would suck in boats that got too close. Mm -hmm. And so that happened once where this boat ran into the Olympic and it punched a big hole in it and they had to, you know, go get it fixed and so this was all like a uh, insurance fraud kind of thing where they wanted oh, to wow. pretend to sink the Titanic, quote unquote, to collect money for the ship that had been damaged. Wow. They didn't want to fix. That's so, a lot of trouble to go to with so, a brand new ship. So then you've got all of your, again, your anomaly seeking like, well, look at this early photo of the Titanic and look at the portholes. They're far apart. And look at the Olympic. The portholes are close together. Uh, uh, l- look at this image of the Titanic when it sailed. The portholes are close together. They were talking about all of these other little particular features, you know, like, oh, this floor was originally tile, but then they covered it with carpet. Why would they do that? Because they were trying to cover up the signs of damage from, I don't know, I can't even remember what that particular line of logic was. But then they would say there were all these conflicting reports of what actually sunk the Titanic. When they were trying to figure it out? Yes, they're saying, you know, some people said it split in two and some people Mm. were told not to say that it split in two and and some say it was a coal fire and some say they were trying to set a speed record. Why would they try to set a speed record? They couldn't beat the record. Wow, sure sounds like there wasn't a conspiracy with a unified front of misinformation. So, okay, so the other big piece of this was that J P. Morgan, the big banker, was trying to get rid of his competitors, that there were these other like three of the world's richest men on the boat at the time, Astor, Guggenheim and Strauss, and they were on the boat and they didn't survive. Why? So there's all these theories that like 
the Titanic even had like sealed compartments that would magnetically lock them in there so they couldn't get out. Oh, wow. Or that, you know, like some tufts kept them from actually getting off the boat. So who knows? But then J.P. Morgan himself, supposedly he backed out at the last minute. He was going to be on the boat. Oh, right. Um, Has echoes of 9-11. Yeah. And so I read some of the kind of response articles to this. And apparently, like, he canceled his trip a long time before and even earlier than Strauss bought his ticket. And uh-uh. He had a legitimate reason because he was handling some deals or art that he needed shipped over to the U.S. anyways. And it was a really expensive ship that mostly rich people bought tickets for. So, of course, the clientele included rich people. <laughs> right. And a lot of men died. And yeah, who knows what the situation was as those men were trying to get on boats and jostling against others. You can't really offer a bunch of money to uh, somebody (laughs) who's about to die on a boat. Right, right. But apparently this is all tied into the theme of this conference because J.P. Morgan wanted to create the Federal Reserve. Of course. And so this is a way to not only, again, it's kind of like 9-11. You've got all these weird insurance claims and you've got the claims of going to war and like multiple motivations at the same time. So I guess they were trying to have the insurance fraud thing happen. But then you have to ask, where did the actual Titanic go? Right. Uh, That's a problem. Supposedly, it took the place of the Olympic. They pulled a little swapperoo. But uh, another problem was, so the story is that he wanted to get rid of these competitors because they didn't want the Federal Reserve. But apparently two of them Mm -hmm. never said anything really about it, never opposed it. And one of them spoke in favor of it. So that doesn't really pan out. Anyways, that was 25 minutes. (laughs) And that was just the first half of it. They were going to play the second half the next day. Oh, yeah, that was part one. So I haven't seen part two. Now I'm actually kind of interested. Oh, boy. But but boy, yeah, they kept uh, like describing... J.P. Morgan, his women on the side and how he was running out of money because he spent so much on his women on the side. Yeah, right. Like that cost him so much. Oh, right. You know, he's this super rich banker (laughs) who's buying tons of artwork and owns a museum and owned the company that owned the white line. Sounds wild and unlikely. So, yeah, I think I watched like 17 minutes and I didn't get (laughs) anything like that from it. I just... It just flowed through me like water. They're really talking about the the Titanic. Titanic. Yeah. This is poorly made. But the next thing was your friend and mine, David Icke. David Icke. Icke. Oh, boy. If you don't know who David Icke is, well, I'm about to change your life. But first, Ross, can we talk about iPhone games and Android games and other sort of smartphone games? Yes, ma'am. Okay. In fact... You might want to know about Best Fiends. Oh, boy, do I. Tell me more. Oh, wait. I got to get my daily gift here. Got to keep my streak up. Excellent. All right. Unlock that. Oh, let me give gifts back to my friends. That's right. I play Best Fiends on my phone. Hey. Oftentimes when I am watching a movie or on the phone for a long call where I just have to listen and not talk. Yeah, it's a super fun game. It's it's a puzzle-based game. So you, you got to use your brain, but in a very fun, relaxing way. Okay. It's not like, oh, I have to work on Best Fiends. No, it's like I get to do this fun little puzzle solving thing with fun and colorful characters. I get to hang out with my Best Fiends. And you know what? They're not that mean for being fiends. Ah. And it's uh, also themed all the time. So right now I've got a pumpkin picking challenge going on here because 
Yeah, it's end of October. Oh, that's pretty cute. Yeah. Very fallish. That's right. So. Yeah, I like that. I'm working my way through the game. And so uh, you unlock stuff. Yeah. You get new upgrades to your characters. I am. I always report on my level. I'm on level 1,448. Whoa. One of my friends messaged me on my Facebook page because I wrote about something else. And they're like, I'm still busy trying to catch up to you on Best Fiends. <laughs> Good luck. That's what I say to you. So yeah, super fun. It's a free download from the Apple App Store or from the Google Play Store. Hey, and they have, I believe, over 100 million downloads. That's wild. That's a lot of downloads. Yep, I'm trying to count them out in my head, and this is going to take me a while. Yeah, that can't just be everybody who works at the company and their friends. It's got to be total strangers. Yeah, because if it is, then they're one of the best employers on the planet. <laughs> you should support them anyway. Um, it's a five-star rated mobile puzzle game, and it's a must-play. With over 5,000 levels and counting, once you download Best Fiends, ugh, boredom won't stand a chance. They're making them faster than I can play them. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Fiends. And while we're talking about fiends and friends alike, mm -hmm. we actually have a message here from a friend to another friend. Ooh, is it a jumbotron? It's a jumbotron. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Favorite time of the week. I knew it would be. This message is for Danny from Natalia. Oh, it looks like Natalia says, Dear Danny, I've been wanting to support OnRack by buying a Jumbotron for a while. Aww. But until recently, I had no friends who listened to it too. Oh. And I am so excited I managed to get you hooked. Hey! It, nice work there, Natalia. And now, with you in Vienna, Ooh. it's definitely a pleasure to say hi to you. Hi! From Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I'm going to get so many emails. You did it. Okay. Edinburgh. Via the medium of Ross and Carrie's voices. Ah. Stay low-key creative. Am I supposed to say it with you? I get uh, Sure. Okay. Stay, Stay low-key low key creative. creative. Natalia. Natalia. Mm. Mm. That's friendship. That's friendship. When you have to really explain your inside joke, you got to shout, stay low-key creative. We know these people are close because <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means. But we follow instructions. Yes, we do. If you tell us to go high... We'll go high. <laughs> That's true. Oh, Carrie, look, I've got another jumbo. Oh, my here. goodness. I was just walking away, but now I nope, won't. Come back. Uh, this one is from Didi and Shoshi. <gasps> well, and I'll just open the scroll up. It's for Rena. Yeah, yeah. Unscroll Thank that. Thank you. Whoa, fell on the floor because it's so long, you know, mm -hmm. hit my mm -hmm. foot. Okay, let's see. It says, and this is in beautiful script. Okay. Yeah. To our amazing sister, Rena. Happy birthday. <gasps> Thanks for introducing us to Onrack and for being an all-around magical person. Aww. Rena is a writer, reader, dancer, vegetarian, and the smartest, sweetest, most elegant goth icon we know. Aww. Oh, that's sweet. Here's to many more camping trips, concerts, haunted houses, anime cons, spooky book clubs, <laughs> and adventures in the future. Oh, nice. Aww. This also sounds like a very good person. Uh, yeah. So many positive attributes. Yeah. I hope they've seen your name since <sighs> they like anime. Well, I'm sure they have. Well, one would hope. Great film. So, David Icke. Oh, boy. Oh, man. One of the OG conspiracy theorists. 
Yeah, and you've definitely heard his work if you're not familiar with him as a person. So first of all, it's yeah. David Ike, I-C-K-E. Mm-hmm. And he is the one we have to thank for lizard people. Lizard people. Yeah. I don't think he mentioned once lizard people in this entire talk. Oh, right. I wonder if he still feels that that's true and uh, has proud ownership of the idea or well, what. We should explain what that is. Yeah. In case you haven't heard, <laughs> it is this idea that there are half-human, half-reptilian hybrids who are in the Illuminati and secretly run the world. Hillary Clinton is one. Mm-hmm. Um, A notable lizard person. Yes. <laughs> the Bushes, I believe, are lizard people. I just suddenly got an urge to do a search for notable lizard people. <laughs> Theresa May, I think. So, you know... All sorts of powerful people who are secretly part lizard. And he used to be a respected news presenter in the UK. (laughs) I think he went through a period where he thought he was Jesus. Like, he genuinely seemed to sort of go off the deep end for for a bit there. And now it's one of those interesting things where he still has the cadence and presence of thought of a person who seems totally in control. But if you compare the content of what he's saying to who he was a couple decades ago, you start to think something really happened here. Oh, okay. Who knows? I'm speculating. Yeah, so he's very famous for the lizard people thing. And then some think that that lizard people analogy is actually him talking about the Jews in code. Oh. So he's actually an anti-Semite. My friend John Ronson talked to him at length and really believes like, no, he means lizards. Okay. <laughs> uh, he doesn't mean your local iguana or Komodo dragon or something like he believes these are alien races that Mm -hmm. have mixed with humans and they just happen to look like lizards. Right. And they just happen to have evolved in such a way that their DNA is compatible. Who knows? Who knows what's going on with this theory? But yeah, he's been around for decades and Mm -hmm. he just keeps giving and giving. Mm -hmm. And he (laughs) appeared at this conference very much heralded and respected by this crowd And just visually, he looks very, you know, respectable, like a David Attenborough type. Mm -hmm. Like you could see him narrating a nature documentary or something Mm -hmm. like that. But sure. And he has a British accent, which always helps. Then you hear what comes out of his face. (laughs) So he actually wasn't going to be giving a talk per se at Mm -hmm. this conference. He would just be doing an open Q&A. And since he's such a celeb. No one was complaining. And his A's are so long, they might as well be talks. <laughs> Definitely. And he was introduced. He actually like took exception. He was described as a author, conspiracy researcher, international speaker. He was okay with all that, but he was described as a new age conspiracy researcher. Mm. And it's like, I take exception to the new age part. Oh. Unless you mean that, you know, I'm looking to the future and trying to blend the physical with the metaphysical, I guess, in that sense. <laughs> okay. But yeah, he just wanted to clarify. Sounds like he talked himself into the description, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm putting it on my business card. <laughs> he had a very intense kind of cobalt blue shirt. Yeah, I was looking at that. I was thinking, that looks like it's from Costco. Oh, okay. I liked it, but all right. Nothing wrong with it. I guess it looks to nice me- Nice shirt shade, Carrie. 
Uh, what? Throwing shade at his shirt. Oh, I see, I see. I guess it reminds me of someone who showed up at like Price is Right taping and they were like, no, no, you need a bold, plain color. Oh, wait, you know what? There's a Walmart across the street. Run across the street and get a shirt. It seems like it's that thrown together, sure, like sure, just okay. off the rack. Anyway, I came into this talk right in the thick of it. I mm. turned on my computer. It's like, okay, I'm going back to the Red Pill Expo. Here we go. Right as he was explaining that trans rights are a smokescreen for the new world order. Okay, so you got in right at the thick of it. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, well, here I am again. Yeah. Watching the red pill expo. Do, do you want me to bring you up to that point? Do I? <laughs> okay. He's very repetitive, at least. So, uh, okay, good. It makes him easier to summarize. The first question from the audience was, how would you address the elite if you could speak to them? Oh, okay. I love that question. That's good. Yeah. So his answer to that was to kind of describe the hierarchy of the elite. Okay. And he said, yeah, you see some people who are high up. Bill Gates. He's Mm -hmm. obviously high up on the pyramid. He was creating this pyramid analogy. Mm. You know, we've all seen pyramids before. We get it. Mm-hmm. So you have the capstone, and those are the people who really run things from behind the scenes. And you never see them. They're out of the public eye. We don't know. Oh, that. so Bill Gates is not in he, that. Yeah, he's not the top echelon. Okay. So he's near the top. Oh, okay. But yeah, the people really running the scenes, they are invisible to all of us. And you get just a few levels down. And those people are loyal foot soldiers. They're helping mm-hmm. execute this plan, but they're totally unaware of this. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, they don't know they're part of the a cult. Boy, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And he keeps using the term cult okay. uh, to describe this. For them, it's just all about acquiescence. And he says, this has been going on all throughout history, but you know, we're seeing it really clearly now in 2020. Like their plans are coming to fruition, house arrest, you know, on a massive scale. Oh, no. Yep, yep. That's how he's describing our pandemic. What they do is they create this perception of reality that makes people behave in their desired manner. Their desire is just to program human perception. But he wanted to keep telling us that they're only as powerful as we let them be. And so they're just hoping that we're going to play along with this grand narrative. Mm -hmm. And so people like us, we need to stand up to them, assert our rights, not play along with the game. And voila, we've beaten them. We have power. So he, at this point, I presume, has completely forgotten what the question is. Of course. Oh, he just talks about what he wants to talk about. I should mention behind him, he's got like a little advertisement for iconic this is pretty good. The alternative. And it leads you to iconic.com. So I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. So his name is David Ike, David I-C-K-E. And this is Iconic. Pretty mm-hmm. uh, good. Pretty good. I am very distracted by, I have a screenshot here of him. And I was also looking at what's behind him. And on the other side, he has a Russian nesting doll. Oh. Some sort of... Um, little Matryoshka doll, huh? Yeah. Some sort of plate that's leaning against the wall. And then two stuffed animal foxes. Oh. No one just, asked him about those. Yeah. I'm curious if he's just like really Too into bad. foxes. And oh, you know what? On the other side is a little stuffed animal tiger. He likes orange animals. Okay. Oh, you found the common thread. Thank you. Yeah, we got to get to the bottom. Well, 
Orange is kind of the opposite of green, which is the reptilian color. Oh, shit. See? Wow. We've really plumbed the depths here. Yeah, I I went to that website and it looked like he had this kind of video on demand type service where you sign up and you get to watch all these groundbreaking documentaries like... Like a picture of someone who's just using a sledgehammer on the ground. <laughs> Groundbreaking. Uh, David Icke, Dot Connector, Mind the Matrix 2. <laughs> dot Connector is the perfect description yeah, of David Icke. Absolutely. absolutely. And he, he owns it too later on in this Q&A. He's got all kinds of little interesting information drops. He describes sanitizer as toxic shite, can cause death. Like, really? <laughs> Sanitizer? Come I, on. I mean, if you drank it, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, he talks about all the psych... Fell in Nevada of it and couldn't breathe. Talks about the uh, psychology and how the elite, them, whoever you want to label as the people kind of running everything, that they're all about using the subconscious and the psychological. So they have all these symbols worked out, like the all-seeing eye. And so this whole mask thing, this is all symbolic. They want us to be covering our mouths and muzzling ourselves. So, Carrie Poppy, David Icke Times. So if you were (laughs) able to talk to the elites, you would tell them their own structure, tell them why they're doing it, and basically reflects them information they already know. Sure. I've figured out your structure. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have the same problem we had with the flat earthers that he's going around giving these talks about this. And, you know, if they wanted him killed. Yeah. They'd kill him. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not like he's got Just some lay special... an egg on his head or whatever. Yeah. So for whatever reason, they don't have a problem with him exposing their whole plan. Right. So either that means he seems like such an incredible by incredible, I mean lacking credibility resource on this topic or like just not a threat because he doesn't have a big enough audience or something. He's not right. Or that's another possibility yeah. one might consider. One yes. might consider. <laughs> I'm uh, glad I could bring that to your attention as a <laughs> third option. He would regularly refer to them as psychopaths. And he said, I like to refer to these psychopaths as little boys in short trousers. Ew, what? <laughs> No need. <laughs> he felt that was like a good way to make them feel little. Maybe it means something where he comes from. Huh. Another question was about his thoughts on the Georgia Guidestones. Oh, right. Oh, gosh, I'd forgotten about these. We it, talked about them at the UFO conventions. Yeah, a lot. boy, for people who think that there are these insidious deep plans that for whatever reason the planners make baldly obvious every now and then they think that these stones in georgia that showed up no one knows who put them there they look like they had to be very expensive and heavy to move and engrave and all that but they list this kind of series of maxims of things they think the world should do so who knows whose philosophy they are but they feel that this is a revealed philosophy to reduce the human population and create all kinds of horrible one world government stuff anyways it's funny see both of those goals sound like pretty decent to me right smaller human population good i mean don't kill people to do it just you know uh, off the top of my head i'm not remembering all of the points of the georgia guidestone so i don't Mm want to say i sign on to them completely but as i recall it kind of felt like reading like the finer points of uh, the satanic temple you know it's like oh yeah these sound like laudable goals Yeah, yeah yeah anyway so he went off for a long time without actually mentioning the georgia guidestones it took him a really long time to loop back to that the questioner was also asking about 
Woodrow Wilson's administration and if any of them met with Edgar Cayce. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's Edgar something. Edgar Cayce, the medium and astrologer and fortune teller Yeah, so you could yore. tell there was some really specific conspiracy theory wrapped up in that question. Again, he didn't get too specific with that, but it just gave him a chance to build into what you're talking about. So he was starting to say like, well, what they really want to do is to create human 2.0. Yeah. This is their goal, and it's to remove sexuality. So we'll no longer be able to procreate. Instead, we will be created as machines. And so they want to end human 1.0, and that's why they're trying to decrease our ability to reproduce, to make us less masculine, Mm -hmm. and eventually they'll want to make us less feminine as well. But it seems like the real attack right now is on the males. And so he said, (laughs) this is a great quotation i've been tracking sperm counts it's like okay you've been looking around checking statistics on men's sperm counts around the world and uh, he's convinced that they're purposefully sterilizing us and so he mentioned even like receipts they'll have bpa or Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is uh these estrogen like chemicals that we find in plastics and other Mm -hmm. places that all of this of course we've identified something that's happening and now we've ascribed that purpose to it Right. And oh, how do you know it's happening? Oh, because the regulators openly tell you that that's the situation and that they're taking steps to mitigate the situation so that you can be healthier. That's correct. And so he said that Bill Gates wants us to take this vaccine as a sterilization method. Yeah, depopulation is the goal. And this is always something I've wondered because here we are in quarantine for a long time. It's hurting major corporations. I work for Disney. It's not doing us any favors. I can Uh, tell you that. Can you please make the live action Mulan not $30? (laughs) I have a pitch for a couple Disney animated films that I would love to tell you about. I think it's coming to regular Disney Plus. I'm sorry. I can't hear pitches. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, What are you doing now? Can you hear that? Yes. Yeah, you can hear pitches. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like that. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I like it. So I've always wondered about this, like, because, oh, all right, let's say we wanted to make the public take this vaccine. We'll make the goddamn vaccine first and then create the pandemic and everyone will take oh, your vaccine. Right. Yeah, good point. If you'd offered me the vaccine back in May, I'd have been like, yeah, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, it takes a long time to make vaccines. And I think sure. that's the people would be like, scratch, scratch. Wait a second. Yeah. Where'd that come from? But <laughs> you could say like, oh, we have a rapid. Pro-. You know, you yeah. could spin a tail. Yeah. It, clearly, that's what they do all the time. They come right. up with improbable explanations. Exactly. Oh, we've actually been tracing this for a long. They could do yeah, it. They, they could be like, well, actually, the coronavirus has been around for a long time. True. Yeah. Uh, and it has different permutations. True. And if, we were just able to spot this one early and get this on the road. Five or six months ago, you were told, yeah, you can go back to your normal lifestyles if you just take this vaccine. Yeah, so many people would have taken it. Yeah. So I'm not buying this. But he says that... <laughs> That's the <laughs> this last is, straw. This is the one thing that really I could not <laughs> buy into. Uh, you know, he was saying that they've had the contents of this vaccine ready all along. So it's okay. like, well, then what are they doing? Yeah, really? Come on. You know, they're way more efficient than this. 
And then he was talking about self-replicating nanotechnology. That's what's going to be inside the vaccine. So it's just going to be a tiny seed particle, essentially, but it'll get in your body and it's going to self-replicate and it's going to change the nature of your body. Oh, that's kind of true. And he starts talking about, he's proud of his term, the technological sub-reality. He's like, I've been saying this for years, but that's what everyone else is calling the smart grid now. And so he talks about how technology is becoming pervasive around us. He mentions Ray Kurzweil and thoughts on AI. Okay. So it's just this big soup of kind of futurism and how he feels this is all part of the plan. And right now we're in the middle of it. Ray Kurzweil is a, uh, what do you call it? A futurist? Yeah, techno-futurist. The What's the term for like the people who are like, yeah, replace parts of my body with robots, whatever. Oh, yeah. Transhumanist. That's it. Yep. Funny um, you would say transhumanist. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because the, uh, David Icke's anti-transhuman. Yes. Yeah, yes. Then that's where we're going with all this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but just to explain Ray Kurzweil for a sec. Oh, yeah. Here, we yes. talked about him on the show before. He's one of the people who sees a lot of hope in the idea that humans will have our body parts in part replaced by robots or maybe our brains will be uploaded into computers and that's mm-hmm. where our personality And this is a positive reside. thing and I can't yeah. wait. And he's a legitimate inventor. Mm -hmm. created like early text-to-speech synthesis machines and did a lot of really cool stuff with music and computers and a real polymath and interesting character who I got kind of obsessed with early on, like in the late 90s, because the band Our Lady Peace, Mm -hmm. Canadian rock music band, they made an album, the, The Age of Spiritual Machines, based on his writing of the same name. So the songs are about that, like replacing one part of you after another, kind of like Theseus's ship. Like eventually, when are you still you if you keep swapping out pieces? And I remember at the time, like, this is so cool. It's rock music, but we're talking about crazy concepts. (laughs) Between tracks, they would have little audio clips of Ray Kurzweil. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I've been geeking out on him for a long time, but now I realize that he is a little nutty as well. Like he has this big thing with vitamins he takes all the time, like crazy Mm -hmm allotments of vitamins because he wants to live forever that's his big thing right live long enough to see the singularity and become a machine my ex-boyfriend's many years ago craig who you knew yeah he was completely okay with the idea of being killed on the spot as long as his personality was uploaded into a computer oh interesting and that is so wild to me yeah yes he was like, yeah, I mean, you'd shoot me, but then I'd be alive inside the machine. Yeah, but it wouldn't be you. Well, yeah, it would. We'd have other characteristics of my personality. <laughs> like, That's supposed to be your theoretical answer, not your real answer. And he's like, take it up with my computer self. <laughs> yeah. He also really wanted a tail. Interesting. He would talk all the time about how he wished he had a prehensile I just keep learning more about Craig. (laughs) He was an interesting person. But then not too long ago, Ray Kurzweil was hired by Google as kind of one Mm. of their prominent technology figureheads, Mm. like someone who kind of carves out their path for where they're going, which was like a really interesting choice and made me think like, oh, is that good or not? I'm not sure, but I still like him. I have a soft spot for Ray Kurzweil. So I've lost the plot. So David Icke was talking about Ray Kurzweil in a positive Um, way or a negative way? I'm guessing this would be negative in that he's kind of pushing this whole shift towards Uh, human 2.0, Okay, where we uh, get into him talking about trans people, essentially, saying that the goal here is a fusion of gender to have no gender. Mm -hmm. And that's where this whole explosion of transgender is coming from. 
great. And yeah, he just went right off the deep end here. He said, you know, if something appears out of nowhere and then suddenly it's everywhere, that's the agenda. That's how you spot the agenda. Like all of a sudden oh, we're talking we're talking about this thing. Yeah, that was an interesting point. Like okay. So, what about the red pill idea? That came out of nowhere and now it's everywhere. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Oh no. That's What just, about you? That's you just, appeared in like the mid 90s and now everybody knows who you are. <laughs> that's just grassroots activism when I like it. <laughs> I just wrote in my notes because this always occurs to me when people talk about these plans being executed and like people behind the scenes pulling the strings. I think, well, then why wasn't Hillary elected? Oh, yeah. I feel like that's a real strong argument against all of this deep state and the illusion of choice. You're like, well, people got to choose Donald Trump. Yeah. What does that tell you? Then he's talking about how kids are indoctrinated to have drag queens come to school and read to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's all awful. Yeah, that's gross. They target the young. They want to confuse them about gender, whereas kids aren't confused about gender. Also, gender and sex aren't the same thing. So you can reproduce and be trans. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so then finally. Endless he, mess of nonsense. He looped back to the Guidestones and said, well, you know, this is just part and parcel of what you see all the time, that they even tell you what they're up to. How so? Because they'll make giant stone monuments where they list all of their oh, aims for I the see. future to depopulate the human race. It's like the flat earthers saying, look, look, the UN, they put the Mercator projection right there on the flags. They're rubbing it in our faces. Mm-hmm. Are they? The Truman Show's real. Or are flags two-dimensional objects? And sometimes <laughs> you have to represent a three-dimensional object. And, and the human eye can only recognize so many shapes. Anyways, uh, more examples of that were he said like, oh, everyone says Bill Gates predicted that the pandemic was coming, that we weren't prepared for it back in 2015. Well, it's easy to see something coming when you're helping make it happen. So he sees this as a self-fulfilling prophecy rather than someone who actually was trying to get us prepared. Shooting the messenger. (laughs) Totally. Poor Bill Gates. I feel so bad. Well, I don't feel bad for Bill Gates. On a level, you know, he's obviously doing okay. Right, right. But no, I feel I feel similarly. And you know, don't write me emails. Yes, he did a lot of crummy things to get mm-hmm. to where he did with his software dealings and all of that. So putting all that aside though, he does a lot of good in the world. It is kind of ridiculous how people uh, snipe at him. Bill Gates, if you're listening, would love to talk to you. Yeah, that's right. You're welcome on the show, Bill Gates. And David Icke. Yeah. Actually, oh. honestly, maybe more David Icke. Yeah, I mean uh, tough call. Hmm. Ooh, let's have them both. Yeah, what's wrong with us that I think I'd rather talk to David Icke? I might rather talk to Bill Gates, but I'm not sure. Yeah, my sensible side's catching up now. I'd probably end up talking to David Icke. (laughs) I'll talk to David Icke, you talk to Bill Gates. Okay, I think we're more likely to get David Icke on our show. (laughs) So he's telling us that the elite, them, whatever you want to call them, they don't care about transgender rights. They're just trying to push their agenda to do away with reproduction. So... (sighs) You know, they're using them as a tool. What a freaking expensive way to do it, too. Like, not (laughs) don't poison us with radiation or something. Like, get this very expensive, complicated operation slash chemical treatment for people. Yeah. Like, it's extremely hard to get. You have to go through so many hoops to get it. Yeah. And, like, okay, we're going to release bottles lined with BPA, and this will very subtly create estrogen like chemicals. That will reduce virility. Right. By some infinitely small amount. let's put a tiny bit on receipts as well. Do we have any other? (laughs) You know what? Because we we hate people who work at Walgreens. Well, we could certainly develop like nanorobots and put them in our vaccines Uh because we already use those Uh for all kind of dastardly deals. 
But on top of that, let's create a transgender move. It's just such an absurd plan. And then what happens? So we stop having babies. Mm-hmm. Then what? How do you get to the human 2.0? It seems like there's like a really big jump. Yeah, well, he feels, I think, that they're going to be created, manufactured. I mean, so then just kill us all. Yeah. You don't need to go through this whole rigmarole of like, complicating everybody's sense of identity in some way that will make a certain segment of the population take medical procedures that will curtail to some degree. Right, right yeah, like... <laughs> but you just go kill everybody, you're yeah, in charge! Right, What all, all these, like, deaths by a thousand cuts. Yeah. It's just so silly as a plan when you look at the whole thing. But yeah, G. Edward Griffin will have something to say about oh, good. them Someone trying to will kill everybody. Up, I'm sure. So yeah, that's where I entered the talk. Okay. And was like, oh! Oh, boy. Okay. This was also about when the moderator was trying to get David Icke to give shorter answers. Oh, yes. Uh And boy, did that piss off David Icke. Oh, he just kind of like made fun of him like, oh, you want short answers, huh? And so he'd give like longer answers. I don't know. You could just tell that he's like, he doesn't get told what to do, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's the whole point of his doc. That he doesn't get told what to do. That we should not be submissive that, you know. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. If you have self-respect, you're going to do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, sure. Okay. The moderator was like, we want to get a couple more. So if we could just get (laughs) about, you know, 30 seconds to two minutes, something like that. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, like, I must have misheard because there's no way (laughs) you told me to get these answers. It's not a question like this. Yeah, but then someone said, should we know who they are? Yeah. Great question. That is a great question. And he said that actually in all of his books, except for one, he does name the names. He was like, I don't talk in generalities. I'll give you the real picture. And I guess kudos to him for that because usually we don't get the names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A quasi-testable hypothesis. When he was protesting, you're like, oh, I'll answer however long I want to. He was making that dot connector point. He's like, I see so many dots. And like, as I'm making these connections, I see other things. And so I keep branching out to them. Yeah. I so identify with that too. Like, I get it when he says like, well, that's my strength is like seeing these connections that Mm. other people don't see. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's my brain too. Like, that's where I feel like I excel as well. Terry Poppy dot connector. (laughs) But, you know, that doesn't mean that- Ross Blotcher plays best fiends. (laughs) It doesn't mean that all those connections are right. You have to stop and be like, is that the case? Mm. You don't Mm -hmm. just start saying them. (laughs) (laughs) He does. Oh, these are all true. Putting them out into space. Go take them. Here's a thought I had. He recommended a book called The Trigger that he wrote about 9-11. And I guess he names a lot of people there. I'm guessing it's probably since that was now almost 20 years ago. I'm guessing it's a lot like those old predictions of who the Antichrist is. Mm. You're like, oh, I guess Mm. it's not Mikhail Gorbachev now. Right, right, right. I guess it's got to be somebody new. Or like, yeah, somehow it was, but in a way that no one would ever have noticed. Right, right. They they unlocked uh, the keys in heaven, and now we are in the third phase of the eighth realm. Right. Oh, yeah, I didn't quite understand this. He kept saying that most people don't know what the eye is. And I think he meant 
I as in me, not I as in E-Y-E. Oh, yeah. Right. Because he was saying we need to focus less on these narratives and these labels that they're trying to force Mm. on us. Okay. That's the narrative they want for us to identify as, you know, white and male and straight Uh, and all that. Okay. Instead, you need to focus on this huge, massive I, the self that is experiencing. Oh, right. Like the soul, the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. I started like noticing the clock after this whole uh-huh. uh, thing. Yep. There was one answer that went on five minutes. Was this the one where they said we have one minute left and they let I the girl so. ask the question? Yep. Oh, no. This was the one just before oh, the little okay. girl. Okay. So, yeah, you're referencing a 10-year-old girl uh-huh. who got up to the microphone and said, why are teachers making kids wear masks when it's so bad for our immune systems? Oh, God. Yeah. They can't breathe at all, she said. Yeah. And I always feel for the little kids in the audience who ask these questions because I feel like I was the precocious kid. Mm. So I kind of like identify Mm. like, oh, yeah, I was the kid asking the really, you know, pro-Christian questions that were exactly what they wanted me to ask. Right. And here's this kid and like, will she ever get out of this? And what stories will she have to tell about going to a conference where she really literally looked up to... David Icke, on the screen, by the way, he was calling in for this particular uh, oh, Q&A. Right, yeah. yeah, and then he said, you know, oh, certainly I can't give you 30 seconds for this. It's so important. What's happening with the masks is a big deal. What they want is your subconscious minds. <laughs> they want to, like, program your perceptions in the subconscious so that then they can have mind control. <laughs> if you cover up someone's face, you can no longer read their emotions, which is dehumanizing, which is the goal. Dehumanize the human race, get to human 2.0. So, wow, we've really jumped a lot of feet with the concept of wearing a mask over your face. Yeah, and once he gets going on this, he'll just repeat it and just rephrase it a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. So he'll kind of get on a kick. Mm-hmm. And then he can just do a five-minute riff on the same two sentences mm-hmm. said in different ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the culmination of this was, okay, they want us to obey these symbols, to act out these symbols, but symbols can be reversed. Mm-hmm. And so he said, all these masks, just take the bloody thing off and uh, yes. chuck it in the bin. Yes. What are they going to bloody do? What are the teachers going to do? So you get this like a mental image of like the 1984 commercial or something, like all these kids uh, disobeying and throwing their masks away. What are the teachers going to do? You're going to find out real quickly where the power is, and it's not with the teachers. Right. And all of this got like thunderous applause from the audience. And now this little girl, poor thing, goes back to school and is like, hey, we all have to work together to take off our masks at the same time. No, (laughs) no. Yes, you could wield power if you got all 500 kids at your school to do this, but... You won't. And so you'll just be the little girl who gets sent to the principal's office. And then the mom comes in and is like, we're patriots. And it's just going to be a nightmare. Good talk. (laughs) Yeah. So he, like everybody else, went way over time. This was a recurring theme. Like every time I would kind of stop the video for a bit, the presenters or somebody would be chastising the current speaker like oh Uh, we're really far behind whereas those vendors were so good with their little elevator pitches just right on and off not so much the presenters so then the mcs got back on and they were so impressed that little girl Mm -hmm. that the male mc whose name is don newen don newen i'm 
John Nguyen. This makes no sense. That's right. <laughs> he said, you know, oh, that little girl's question, just like so beautiful, so wise. You know, actually raise your hand if you're in the audience and you're under 20. And probably five kids raised their hands. And one was this little boy who had a broken arm and a sling. And so the male MC said, oh, I met him. I talked to him at the urinal in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, right. And his wife is like, oh, a TMI. She's like trying to get him to like hear himself how this sounds, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. but he doesn't get it. So and then they like, debate over the boy's name. I remember that part. He's okay. Like, yeah, it was Christopher. Are you sure? I'm, th I'm thinking his name was Aloysius or you know, something else. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. what. What's his name? Oh, oh, see, I was right. It was Christopher. That's funny that that's what would stick out in your mind in this story because <laughs> he was like, no, he was at the urinal and he did such a good job Are at the urinal. How did I miss despite this? Despite having a broken arm and you know us guys we don't always do a good job but especially with a broken arm eyes forward buddy <laughs> exactly and What's his wife just keeps being like okay well it's who's up next fanning herself i don't want to report on you on the evening news <laughs> right yeah so that was uncomfortable and there are these people talking about like pedophile rings because right. <laughs> someone sent an email saying let's get pizza and then they're telling me about how good a little boy is at the urinal <laughs> which i don't think was a sexual thing but do you see what i'm saying sure yeah you want to avoid the appearance of evil okay so then they had all the parents who had brought kids stand up as well so we could all applaud them because they're such brave heroes good speaking of donna and don Mm -hmm. The next day, mm -hmm. this was again me just like kind of randomly shooting around this very, very long conference. Donna once came out and introduced herself as Donna Nguyen. Apparently, they got married that first night at dinner. Whoa. They had a judge marry them. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So now they're married. I, I thought they were already married. Me too. You know, in my mind, I treated them like a married couple. <laughs> yeah, me too. I honored the sanctity of their marriage. Uh huh. But now they're apparently. You were like, actually I will married. not have sex with either of them. They look to be married to one another. That, you know what? It's true. I was not planning to have sex with either one of them. There you go. See, and for that reason and that reason alone. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Mazel Tov. Yeah. Congrats, y'all. Now I know you saw one more talk. Mm -hmm. I saw just the hint of a talk by Carrie Rivera. Did you see her? No. Okay. Just to let you know, she's a fellow Carrie. She is the mother of a child with autism that she thinks was caused by vaccines. Oh. So she's using chlorine dioxide to cure her son's autism. Oh, no. no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. And... If you look in my notes, like I took two screenshots, a couple notes, and then wrote, I'm going to take a break now. And that's the end of my notes. <laughs> uh, like that first time when you needed to take a bath yeah. after the Rosa Parks story. Yeah. Like just skipping around the videos. It's just like a weird way to find random stuff. A couple just odd moments I heard from other talks. I didn't know what the context was, was a guy saying, and all of these paid Soros rioters. <laughs> nice little bit of anti-Semitism there. Poor George Soros always gets targeted. And then another random clip was, they take a common virus and label it deadly. You're referring to coronavirus, I'm sure. Sure, sure. Anyway, it's just 
the things that come out of these people's faces. So the last talk that I watched was I wanted to make sure to catch the final talk, the session closer by G. Edward Griffin. Yeah, he's the daddy papa of this whole thing. The man, yeah. You know, just kind of the respect that everyone showed for him. People kept mentioning him during their talks and saying how much they respect him and how important he's been kind of reminded me a little bit of oh i'm bet i was just going to take a note here so i would remember to say yeah james randy so yeah we just we just lost someone very important in the science and skepticism and critical thinking world Mm -hmm. james the amazing randy yeah, my former boss. So yeah, you knew him much better than I did. I interacted with him at conventions and and he was always super gracious and good spirited and he he obviously loved kind of the adoration that we all paid mm-hmm. him. Yeah. But he was a magician and escape artist who like Harry Houdini, he kind of took on this second career of going after fake psychics and homeopaths and faith healers. And other people who take advantage of others by blinding them with science or magic or faith. And he would expose them on TV. Mm-hmm. He helped create the original Psychop along with Carl Sagan Which and Paul the Kurtz. Committee for the Scientific uh, Committee in- for Skeptical Investigation, investigation of Claims, claims of, of the, the paranormal, paranormal, which is now CSI, uh, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. And then he created the JREF, the James Randi Educational Foundation. At which I worked. And also putting on conferences like The Amazing Meeting, which we both went to early on. Yeah. And very famously, he offered a million-dollar challenge through his educational foundation for anyone who could demonstrate claims of the paranormal, which was a really important argument to have on the table saying, well, if there is someone out there who can read minds or levitate or what have you, they should be able to demonstrate it and if they can they'll win a million dollars if this prize has been out there for 30 plus years and hasn't been claimed it says something yeah it says something i don't think even prepared to like (laughs) summarize how deeply important james randy was to me Mm -hmm. maybe we'll get to talk about it a little more in a future episode but Mm. suffice it to say he was very formative in who i became as a person and my career as well and he died yesterday which was october 20th 2020 and when i saw that i thought like uh well randy would have liked that he would have liked the round numbers oh really yeah you know magicians tend to i don't know love that sort of thing yeah they're kind of wink of an eye numerologists yeah exactly and then i thought that i heard him in my head being like Oh, I should have gone 10 days earlier, because that would be 10, 10, 20, 20, <laughs> which I really think would have been his response. I also remembered, he talks about death all the time, hmm, and usually jokingly, right? Like, when I knew him, he was in his 80s. He died at 92. And so he would always joke about just, like, you know, knock on the table, look up at the ceiling and say, are you there? God, I'm still down here. <laughs> Stuff like It was always kind of a joking uh, challenge to believers that James Randi kept outliving so many of his fiercest critics. Because, you know, usually you think the bad devil man, you know, who disproves some of the faithful would be the one to die early. But he wasn't. Yeah. But one time when we were, I could tell you so many like Randi memories, but in particular. Maybe we do need an episode. Yeah. I'd love to hear those stories. But one thing that came up today was... 
I was remembering that we were talking about how people say rest in peace mm. when honoring someone. And mm -hmm. I don't know that there is a better way to express that sentiment. I don't have a problem with it. But, mm -hmm. but Randy said something like, well, why would we say to rest in peace? They're not resting. They're not there. Why are you talking to them? <laughs> sort of thing. And I said, well, Randy, when you go, what do you want me to... Because I was his communications oh, director. I was yeah. like, what do you want me to put you on there? You needed to be ready for that. <laughs> what do you want me to put on there? And he said, I don't know. Say, like, Randy, you're dead. <laughs> so, Randy, you're dead. Yeah, I will. I will miss that guy. For so many people, you know, the first time they learned about what homeopathy is or how psychic surgery works or how to bend a spoon or there's so many other things like they learned it from him being on the Johnny Carson show or mm. seeing him on some other TV show. So if you haven't look up some YouTube clips, it's always great to see those performances, but also there's a, a great documentary called an honest liar. That's a great way to learn about his life. I think I'm in the special thanks for that film. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah special. Yeah, so we'll tell you more about Randy soon. But I was also thinking about him. People were talking about this yeah. guy because similarly, just people have stars in their eyes when they talk about him. And you could tell they're like kind of hoping he's listening because they, you know, mm -hmm. they really want to show that they really get his importance in this movement and really want his approval. And, and I was watching this talk today, fresh off of the news about James Randi. And I was mm -hmm. thinking like, oh, he's there, James Randi. Yeah. I Oh, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. When I, and, I, and he hadn't even gotten on stage just from mm. people talking about him. I thought right. This kind of. Buzz and he also, you know, he's a elderly man with not as illustrious of a beard as uh, James Randi's, but who could? Right, and that's a high standard. Anyways, yeah, I know that feeling because James Randi would get up and it would always be a good talk, but maybe he retells a story you've heard before, but you still give him the standing ovation because he's, he's he's James, James Randi, the amazing Randi. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I won't uh, wish him to rest in peace, but well, we miss you, James. Already, you're you're dead. You're dead. I mean that in the best way. <laughs> <laughs> but you live on in our hearts. No, no, I don't. I'm dead. Then who's talking? <laughs> <laughs> I've become a medium now, really honoring my the, hero's legacy. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Carrie becomes the James Randi channeler. <laughs> exactly what he would have Spouting wanted. his email passwords. <laughs> Oh, my God. There's more stories I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So okay. I watched the actual talk with G. Edward Griffin. Yeah. So, yeah, he was introduced by Don and Donna, and they said, all right, let's change the room with noise. An interesting way to get people to oh. shout, but it worked. I like that phrase. Yeah, okay. that was kind of cool. And do we even need to introduce you? <laughs> it's that same kind of uh, thing. Yeah. So good old G. Edward Griffin. He got up on stage, and he's wearing a black coat and uh, kind of khaki pants and a gray shirt underneath he looks like a jovial fella it kind of at least from this angle he looks a little bit like my dad even but yeah he gets up there and he says oh thank you all thanks for being you i don't see even any masks at all in the room uh, he calls that out as like a particularly all right fitting, all right you're my people Thumbs up. yeah not at all conformist you are all individuals <laughs> i'm not <laughs> he said, all right, well, I know we're running long, so uh, instead of a really long talk, I'll bore you with a very short talk. Cute. Which, yep, very cute. And so he starts with a quote from Sun Tzu, the uh, author of The Art of War, the philosopher, the military tactician. 
He said, if you know yourself and you know your opponent, you need not fear a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but do not know your opponent, then for every victory, you will suffer a defeat. And if you do not know yourself or your opponent, you are a fool and you will suffer defeat in every battle. Wow. That's wise words. Yeah. And this was the intro to his talk. Who are they? Yeah. Who (laughs) are they? See, this is an important question to answer. Yeah, I I love it. I was very eager to hear. Who are they? So, yeah, great quote. Okay, yeah, you need to know your enemy. And he said that... That's the whole idea of vaccines. uh, When he was born back in 1931, this battle was already raging. So Mm. it's not like this is brand new and he's seen it come about. This is a longstanding plan, a longstanding fight. But of course, it's going to come to a head during his lifetime because it always comes to a head during every crusader's lifetime. Uh, Good point. They're just the right person at the right time. Mm -hmm. He was saying that, you know, we used to know what we were fighting for. We saluted the flag. We stood in respect. Mm. And uh, people say that they want to get rid of capitalism, put in socialism. We haven't even had true capitalism since 1910. So that Federal Reserve thing, there they are on Jekyll Island. So I'm here today. He ties things together well. He says, I'm here to give you a red pill today. All right. Here we go. Hey, question. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Poppy, James Reddy Times. Why is there even a blue pill? (laughs) (laughs) My friend brought this up earlier today, and it's been blowing my mind ever since. Why is there a blue pill? Does it do anything? It seems like it does nothing. You could just say red pill or not a red pill. Or not take the red pill. (laughs) To his credit, he did. I'll take my answer off the air. (laughs) He didn't mention the blue pill, at least. But yeah, I was pretty impressed with his style, his rhetorical flourishes. Already, I'm seeing he's more of a force to be reckoned with than I would have just thought of this random author who kind of started this interesting conference that we were attending. So who are they? Who is this enemy? And he names all of these different labels that we apply to things. Democrat, Republican, liberal, socialist, uh, libertarian. So he throws out all of that and he says, yeah, well, these were really good points. He says, we all have responses to those words and they're very emotional responses. They're different depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. And not everybody can even define what they mean or agree on definitions. Liberal versus progressive. These are just hollow words. They're emotional stimuli. They kind of distract us from the underlying truth. Okay. Interesting. I'm with you. And so he said that this battle has been waged very slowly over the years, step by step, Congress by Congress. Again, really nice rhetorical flourishes, mm-hmm. like the way he's building this. He said, like, you know, when we came to World War II, we had to fight those totalitarians by becoming a little more totalitarian ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that we're slowly, you know, some self awareness there by creep, we're losing these, this American identity. And he said at the time, I did what most Americans do. I just stopped thinking about it, but it didn't go away. So I started reading some history and some older history to try Mm. to see what are these trends that are going on. What sources did you look at? (laughs) Hi, this is Carrie. Um, uh, Yeah, I would like to know. Daylight Times. Can you give me a list of the books you read? I assume The Art of War was one of them, but maybe you have some additional ones you can point me to. Yeah, he was saying it was like, you know, stuff from 100 years ago and more. Okay. So uh, I guess. Was it on tablets? (laughs) In the middle of Georgia? Because that matters. So he introduced the frames of collectivism versus individualism. Okay. And that would become kind of the the talking points. Okay. And so the proper role of the state in his mind is to support the rights of the individual. And he feels like mm. that's how the constitution mm-hmm. was written. 
And then right after he said that, you know, like this is written in the constitution, that's important. Then he turns around and he says, but you know, I don't want to be governed. That's the wrong word. We shouldn't call it the government. If anything, we should call it a protectorate. And it's unfortunate that they use the word government. Mm. I think, well, you were just telling me how important the wording of the constitution was. And now Mm. you're saying like, I don't like that they use the word government. Well, maybe they intended that too. Right, right. So he was saying that the government is there to support your life and your liberty. And that's the end of the story. They're not there to educate you or feed you or support you. They're just making sure that you have what you need to live your life to your own direction and guidance. You know, that's a philosophy and well stated. And then he kind of called out the idea of the greater good for the greatest number. And he said this is becoming our downfall, that human rights then becomes this mathematical issue. It does. Who got the slight majority? And then that Mm -hmm. majority gets to reign over the minority. Mm -hmm. And so he used the example of- The Supreme Court's supposed to curtail that problem, but yeah. I would take a vast exception to it, but he said, you know, it was well stated. He said, like, the lynch mob is the ultimate democracy. Oh, Wow. It's the many voting, the vast majority with only one person opposed. Wow. That's, okay. That's a potent image. Yeah. So he said the greatest good is truly only achievable by protecting the rights of the individual. And with a majority, you know, rule by majority, they can just do whatever they want to. So collectivism is the enemy. Wow. There we have it. Can we all agree that we should not work together? Everybody pay attention. (laughs) Everybody pay attention. We all need to defy together. Now raise your hand if you agree. (laughs) Collectivism is the enemy. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're doing there. So then he said, you know, it's even like the electric bill. I get my electric bill and they say, do you live below a certain economic stratum do you want us to support you we can give you a cheaper rate and he Uh bristles at that and he says oh "Oh, they're offering to help me pay well then that means what i'm offering to help other people pay like this is not their job god yep and so he said i hope he's completely against inheritance oh like i I bet not if this is all consistent if the whole idea is like you need to work for everything you've got then no one should ever get anything from their parents. Well, I think he would say they shouldn't get anything from the collective society. But by right. all means, if they've got that leg up from their immediate family members, well, yeah. Right. I just mean like... That's that, their property to do with as they please. But I guess I'm saying like, what's the underlying philosophy there then? Because if it's it's supposed to be this whole like puritanical mm-hmm. work for yourself thing. Yeah, yeah. And the, the meritocracy always uh, has a difficult transition there yeah. between generations. Yeah, cuz I mean like this is how we end up with class and prejudice. Mm-hmm. You know, like why does someone with the exact same qualifications as me but who's black, why does she have a totally different life. Well, it's right. often because of this generational wealth and yeah. that became privilege that didn't get passed down to her. A dollar stolen is also compounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then he said, you know, like socialists, fascists, Nazis, liberals, you know, we throw around all these terms, but they're all just different names for collectivists. Wow. Okay. And See, the Nazis, I'm going to go out on a limb uh-huh. and say they weren't so community oriented with certain (laughs) groups of people well yeah then you get in this the thorny issue of defining the people who are collective within your group right uh so yeah they had a collective all right (laughs) it was interesting though just hearing this 
you know, I would say cogent, at least, presentation, if not fully convincing, but at least a cogent presentation of kind of the opposite messages I'm always hearing. He was saying, you know, like, well, if we're all in the same boat, when it sinks, we all go down. Okay. And, you know, if someone's fallen off the cliff and we're all holding hands, we fall off the cliff together. So, oh, I see. I see. He's he's framing these all as negatives. Yeah. I so, see. like, normally we say, oh, the rising tide lifts all boats. He's oh, like, right. well, the sinking tide uh, sinks oh, all right. boats. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, also, it's just you patently could, untrue. You could lend a helping hand to someone, but they might pull you off the cliff. So, uh, oh, okay. That explains why we don't have rich people anymore. Like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, we have huge wealth inequalities. Poor people did not drag down the rich people. So, yeah, so he was talking about how it's so difficult being the average person, feeling that you can't do anything, which is funny because it's kind of a call for collectivism to <laughs> like rise above that abulia and the laziness and the lack of effectiveness. But anyways, he kept prodding himself during this, which, again, was very well-timed and very funny. He would say, like, and I still haven't fully answered who are they. Oh, right. Um, okay. He'd continue on. Though, in a way, he at least has kind of given the broad label here. They um, are theys who work with other theys. Yeah, and it's interesting because they, being the collectivists, is almost a tautology. Like, they are right. a collective. Right. They, them. Totally. But then he started getting a little more specific. He started talking about the Club of Rome, Oh, and he said, "Okay, you know, I could define this group. They're elites. You know, I could I could give you Uh all kinds of, you know, descriptions of what they are and who they do and where they came from. But suffice it to say, they are collectivists. They Hmm. published this book, The First Global Revolution, and it was intended to find our common enemy. And the enemy became humanity itself. Okay. There's just too many people. We've got to get rid of them. They're going to drown us out in bodies. He's not saying this. He's saying they He's said saying this. they're saying this. Okay. Right. <laughs> and now you're saying he said he, they said this. So, yes. Now you're understanding that I'm saying that he's <laughs> saying that they're saying that this is the plan. And now Jenny in her car is listening to this podcast. And she Hi, gets Jenny. that I was saying that you were saying that he was saying that they were saying that. That's right. We've okay, got like got eighth level intentionality going on. <laughs> so then he uh, started pinpointing. He went for an individual finally, Bertrand Russell. Oh, okay. Yeah, the great philosopher. Yeah, yeah, utilitarian philosopher. Not only was he a member of the Fabian Society, which is a socialist society. Oh, boy. But he got a Nobel Prize. Remember I was mentioning we oh, had a right. little and more. that's the moment where he became evil. And yeah, and he's like, and of course, they all have Nobel Prizes. Of course. I wonder what he'd say if Donald Trump got the Nobel Prize. Yeah, I was Prize, just like thinking him. that what, uh, like, the Nobel makes me Prize. want to go and, you know, nominate him. <laughs> just to throw them reacts. off. Yeah, see if he's like. Don't oh. play into his game. That's what he wants. <laughs> um, we already made him president. Uh, oh, I didn't mean Trump. I meant this guy. Oh, oh, I yeah. like how you're thinking. Oh, very good. Yeah, what does he do when he gets the Nobel? Okay. Oh, yeah. If you are a humanities professor of any kind, you are able to nominate people for a Nobel Prize. Please nominate me. <laughs> Please nominate me. Oh, so you can just say you're a Nobel Prize nominated? Yeah, so I can be like... Okay, Trump, so am I. Sure. It turns out you can just say on a podcast, please nominate me and people will. All right, make it happen. Okay. Also, I like to pack my diplomas folder. <laughs> I have a speed reading certificate. I have a Dianetics certificate. You're a Reiki My actual master's degree. They're all just in there together. It's all the same. Anyway, so this group that Bertrand Russell was part of, he was verbalizing some of these particular aims 
about, I didn't check this to see if these are real quotes, but at this point, I, I would guess that maybe it actually was maybe taken out of context or something. But the idea was like, oh, maybe we introduce like a black death that would be spread throughout the world or, you know, we find some other way to kill off people because there's just too many of them. Oh, that sounds like a thought exercise Bertrand Russell might have employed to right. point, but yeah. I'm guessing, right, we would find that it was something more like that. But they're like, aha, you're revealing exactly what you really thought. Right. And then he talked about like Tony Blair and other British politicians being part of this Fabian socialist society. And then he was talking about a specific house, the Webb House, and they have mm. this stained glass window that depicts the earth on an anvil. Holy shit, this sounds great. Yeah, I looked it up and yeah, it's uh, interesting. And uh, not only is the iconography interesting, but it really does kind of play into this sort of fascination with symbols and plots. And who knows what the full intent of the original stained glass window was. Is it coming up for you? Is it in Anaheim? I'm not sure where it was, but I would imagine in England. Mm, Okay. I thought he said in the talk that Bertrand Russell was pictured as one of the guys with a hammer ready to smash the world. But I looked up enough to see that it was George Bernard Shaw, interestingly enough, and Sidney Webb, I guess the owner of the Mm -hmm. Webb house. And like the little caption above it says to remake the world. So Mm -hmm. this is their big dastardly plan. And I guess that's kind of consistent with what David Icke was saying to depopulate the human being. So it's tying together. Okay. He also called out the World Economic Forum. They meet in Davos, Switzerland, and it's all the elites, you know, planning out what's going to happen. And he just doesn't like that small group of people having that much sway. Again, a rhetorical flourish ended with Leon Trotsky as his last example as a collectivist and quoted him at length. And the point of that quote was to say, well, what we really want to do is we want to control humanity so that they are reliant upon us, that if we don't have a lot to give them, that they wait in long lines and that we choose who gets to eat. Mm. It's all about control. And so he said, this is their primary motive. They want to be part of the group who decides who gets something and who has to wait. That's what drives them. Absolute power over every human being on the earth. Wow. That's my red pill for today. Thanks for listening. Clap, 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 clap. They all stood, they clapped. It was their James Randi leaving the stage. Yeah, that's not even a theory. It's just they is they. They is people working together. They are the general idea of collectivism that the many are greater than the few because then that gets hijacked by the few who are powerful and can wield that idea to shape the world as they see it. But like collectivists are most people. So, but most people are just buying into the game. They're not uh, running the game. Uh-huh. Okay. So there you go. And they're all followers of the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm following this. Okay, yes, cool, you cool, got cool, it. Cool, That's cool. right. Groucho, Harpo, Richard. I'll be right here waiting for you. And our friend Spencer Marx. it takes. Yes. <laughs> Gummo. <laughs> Famous Marx brother, Gummo Marx. Is there a Gummo Marx? Yeah, it's oh. just one of those forgotten Marxes. Oh. There's Harpo. Everyone loves Harpo. Everyone loves Groucho. And then there's like Gummo and like Poopo. I don't know. Mm. Bunch of O names. Nice. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Our editor is Victor Figueroa. Our hero is James Randi. You can support this show and all we do at MaximumFun.org slash join or slash donate. Take your pick. Either way, you can help make this show possible. And we really, really, really appreciate all of you who contribute. And again, you do make this show possible. 
You do. Or you can take the blue pill and things will stay as they are. <laughs> but why? And then you'll wonder, like, make the blue why did pill? I take this pill? It doesn't do anything. Why did we even make this? It's like, at least the placebo claims to do something. Right, usually. Yeah. Why do they make the blue pill? <laughs> No point to it. You can also support us by telling your friends, leaving us a positive review. Makes us look legit. Other people are like, oh, this lady named Michaela. She said she liked this podcast. Please, Michaela. I've been waiting for you to do this. I want to be like, and I know what you think. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll do that eventually. You know, do it now. Or... You can write a postcard to yourself and explain to yourself, just in case in the future you've forgotten how good the show is, Mm -hmm. say, hi, me in five days. I just want to make sure you're still listening to Ona, Ross, and Carrie. As you know, it is a really good podcast. It's actually my very favorite podcast. Just wanted to make sure that, you know, you were still aware of that. Also, be sure to vote. I was going to say, 3rd. yeah, if you're doing this, maybe wait until after the election in the U.S. Mm. to send that mail. So we leave the mail system open mm. for voting election-related materials. important. And then be sure to sign lots of love, your name. You can also go to our bookshop.org page at bookshop.org slash shop slash oh no and uh, find our book recommendations there. Support us, support a local bookstore. And remember, comparing the wisdom of G. Edward Griffin and James Randi. A lynch mob is pure democracy. There's only one dissenting vote. (laughs) Think about that. You would never sign a constitution or a political document that would give the majority the right to take away the rights of an individual. I don't care if it's a majority of a hundred million to one person. The concept of individualism is that every human being is at the apex of society and the greatest good of the greater number is achievable only by protecting the individual rights of each person in society. That is the greatest good of the greatest number. Because once you accept the idea that the greatest good of the greatest number is determined by a vote and the biggest number of votes takes, clears the game, they win all of the chips, that means any demagogue that can come along can whip up a little passion, get a lot of people, 50%.0001, just one more vote, and they can do anything they want to. Who wants to live in that kind of a system? And yet, that is exactly the system we live under today. Well, for one thing, as a magician, someone who professionally deceives people but does it for entertainment purposes, I know two things with great certainty. First, how people can be fooled. And second, and that's more important, how they can fool themselves. And they do. Now, magicians know this, and they allow people to fool themselves, but for purposes of entertainment. But I see the charlatans out there, the people on television who say that they can talk with dead people. I, too, can talk to dead people, but uh, do they answer? I think Shakespeare asked a question like that one time in Henry the something or other. The point is, people can be misled into believing there is a supernatural 
world out there. Now, there may be. I can't say that there isn't. But certainly what is being shown us on television and through the media in general by people like John Edward, for example, and Sylvia Brown and other performers like this who say they have these supernatural powers, that is nothing like supernatural powers. There's nothing happening there that the magician can't explain. And that's what got me so angry about it because I saw lives being destroyed. I saw money being taken. I saw emotional security being damaged desperately. I had people come to the James Randi Educational Foundation in Florida. They sit in my library and they sit down. They say, but our mother has control of the books. She has the power of attorney and she's given all the money away to the faith healer. And uh, what can we do? And the answer is, you can't do anything. If she's got legal control of it, she has a right to do what she thinks is right with it. Now, she's wrong in, in that supposition. That is not what should be happening, in my estimation. People should be told the truth. They should be allowed to know that they can be deceived. And the average person out there doesn't realize how easily they can be deceived by a clever operator. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together we're the majority. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.